everyone, and welcome to the Able Voices Podcast. I'm Dr. Rhoda Bernard, Founding Managing Director of the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, and I am proud to present this podcast featuring disabled artists and arts educators. We are inviting artists with disabilities to be guest hosts for the Able Voices Podcast. Today's guest host is Lawrence Clark. Lawrence Clark is an award-winning stand-up comedian, actor, performer, screenwriter, and playwright who is based in the UK. He was selected for the BBC Writers' Room Writers' Access Group and for Screenwriting 2021. Lawrence's spec script, Wheeling and Dealing, has just been optioned by Chapter One Films. He won the Triforce UK TV Writers' Slam 2021 out of 1,600 submissions, and consequently his comedy pilot, Perfect, was broadcast. Lawrence has written several other scripts and screenplays, many of which have been made and performed. He is also the chair of Triple C, a community interest company led by disabled artists. Triple C aims to drive up the role of disabled people in the performing arts and the role of the performing arts in the lives of disabled people. Triple C also runs Disabled Artists Networking Community, or DANC, project, which provides an extensive program of networking events, mentoring, and masterclasses for disabled writers and other artists. Hi, and welcome to the Able Voices podcast. I'm Lawrence Clark. I'm a writer and the guest host for today. Our guest is a good friend of mine. Annalisa Delala. Annalisa is another writer and has worked on shows in the UK such as Ralph and Katie and the new series of Sex Education. Hi, Annalisa. Hi, Lawrence. Hi. Um, thank you so much for doing this today. So to start off with, can you tell us a bit about how you got started and how you got basically to where you are now? Sure. I, well, I should probably explain that I am visually impaired and that I have a condition called retinitis pigmentosa and it's a degenerative sight condition. So when I came out of uni and started my career, I had better vision than I have now I had kind of tunnel vision back then um, and now I have I still have tunnel vision it's just kind of more severe um, so I started my career working in documentaries uh, and I uh, uh, was a researcher and did, did you always want to work in TV I always wanted to work in drama yeah. but I kind of figured it was kind of similar <laughs> <laughs> you just had to check your facts but you know it was still television. It was, you know, it was as close as I could get at the time. Um, you, you, you just have to make less stuff up. Exactly. Exactly. Way harder, may I say. So I was hired on a two-week contract, and my job was to find out information, research stuff. And I did get sent to the library and stuff like that, which I could kind of do back then. We can't read print now at all. Uh, but I was good on the phone and I realised actually the best way of finding information is to phone people up. 
So yeah, I, I got really pretty good at researching and kept getting rehired and rehired. And eventually I became a producer on those documentaries. And I did that for kind of 10 years and it was bloody good training. Like it was really good training in just how to be a professional, how to be a producer in the industry. And uh, what were the documentaries on? What were they? They were they were varied. Um, they, they, there were serious documentaries about the life and death of Benito Mussolini, the Nuremberg trials. There was one about uh, sexuality and Catholicism. Really varied. And then at one point, I was doing a, I was chasing Bob Geldof, the Bob, around with a camera, making a documentary about divorce law. So massively varied very wide span but very good for my journalism skills very good for finding stuff out getting hold of people persuading them to tell me things so I did that and then as my site worsened I became increasingly desk bound and my job really was just to write proposals for documentaries and that just involved being able to write incredibly concisely and really capture people's attention with very punchy opening paragraphs etc I was just a essentially a copywriter um, and an ideas person. And then I kind of got to the point where I realized that I was writing for a living. And if I wanted to write for a living, I may as well actually write what I wanted to write, which was drama. So at that point, I went and did an MA in screenwriting at City University. And I worked part-time in my old job and I studied for two years. And then I decided to take the leap and uh, was a spectacular failure for many, many years, uh, got absolutely nowhere. And then eventually I got my first break writing radio drama, which I did then for a few years. And that was amazingly helpful. I learned a lot. With radio in the UK, you get put in a room full of incredibly experienced, talented actors very quickly after you finish your script. And you have a very intense couple of days in which they rehearse and perform your work. And you learn so much from that experience. And then I was accepted onto the BBC Writers' Room WAG scheme, which mm. you'll know very well, Lawrence. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, that's how we met, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm interested with the documentary and this sort of slow journey towards drama. When did you become interested in disability and maybe doing something about disability and about things that you were experiencing? Yeah, that came a bit later, actually, because I started kind of in the early 2000s. And back then, disability was just not considered I, I mean, it just wasn't, no one was interested, just nobody cared. It was considered extremely niche. I, and I was quite commercially minded and I just thought no one, no one gives, no one cares at all about what I think as a visually impaired person. It never occurred to me it, it, in a million years that my experience was worth something. And it was only really around the time, well, before the WAG scheme, I, mm. I, took some time after having my second child and um, I decided to write something about visual impairment and I wrote about I wrote a series a tv comedy series about a visually impaired sport called 
goalball, which is a bit like blind. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Like way more <laughs> blood and uh, fractured ribs and injury, yeah. head injuries. <laughs> I went and hung out with uh, the Winchester Goalball Club and uh, met some amazing young people who were just <clears throat> kind of fearless and incredible. And uh, did, you, did you play? Yeah, I was terrible. Everyone kept saying, oh, my God, this, this will change your life. And I was like, no. But but I tell you what did change my life. I did have a go at blind tennis, uh, and I loved that. That was, like, the most extraordinary experience in, in the world. That was, like, inhabiting a different body. It was, it was like, being able to do something that I previously could not do was because mm. I was using my ears and not my eyes was this whole kind of incredible, uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to use swear words, but, like, <laughs> mind beep. Yeah. And so I get it. Like, I totally get it. I get that joy and that thrill of like the anarchic craziness of, hey, look at me. I'm doing this. I'm doing this this sport. <laughs> Who said I can't? <laughs> uh, so I loved I love the spirit of goalball, even though goalball itself requires you to hurl yourself at the floor in a way that I just wasn't up for. <laughs> Have you, you sound like you've played it. Have you played it, Lawrence? No, I bought, I've watched people play it. <laughs> No, I've never done it myself. I've never really been that sporty, to be <laughs> honest. Fair. I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's for a very unique per- person decides to put a blindfold on and hurl themselves mm. about. But it really captured my imagination. So I wrote a series about a goalball team, and I think actually it was that pilot that got me onto the writers' room scheme at the BBC. And so yeah, then I started realizing my own experience is absolutely worth as much as anyone else's and if not yeah. more because it's brilliant <laughs> and, and also i guess working in tv in the early 2000s you weren't encouraged to be open about being disabled to be open about your access requirement no totally not this actively mm. discouraged i would say yeah yeah, and is that something that's slowly changing a thing? Well, yeah, I mean, it's changing thanks to you and your work <laughs> at Dank and Triple C. It's changing. Uh, there are all sorts of things, all sorts of yeah. things that are sort of happening and they're coalescing around this kind of movement. Um, yeah, it feels, yeah. Like, it feels like we're suddenly sexy. Oh, we're so sexy. <laughs> everybody, everybody wants Seth Lawrence. <laughs> it's not gonna last. No, it will. It will last forever. They finally realised, and now they realise they're never gonna not be able to not want us. So after doing bags, the writers that says group, did things start to happen? So the script I wrote about the goalball team got optioned during WAGs by a lovely producer. And so that was really interesting, that experience. Although sadly, at the time, he he did such an amazing job of pitching it around. But at the time, which was, God, when was it? 2019. Yeah. 2019, he was getting the feedback from the broadcasters, the British broadcasters, that it was too disabled. Someone literally said those words to him. Mm, so that was before the sea change. I had um, once 
that in fact my first script that I took anywhere and the feedback I got was if you took disability out of it, it had no USB. Well, why would you want to do that? <laughs> that's what makes it unique. That's what makes it the experience. But they were different times. Yeah, they really were. I, I mean, I don't know if that, it, it just doesn't work as an excuse, but my God, you know, let's not, let's not, let's not go there. Um, it, yeah, it's shocking, <laughs> completely shocking, but also shocking how blatant, like there's just no, they're not even trying to pretend. It was just yeah. so, it was so overt, that prejudice. That same producer, obviously I won't say the name, but asked me twice recently to work on something I had the pleasure of turning them down oh, twice. That's joyful. Yeah. yeah. Hooray. Yeah. 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 That's karma in action. And uh, it was a disability-related show as well. Of course it was. Of course it was. They were like, oh, yeah. who do we know who's good and disabled? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah. sorry. <laughs> I'm too sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so so that happened and then the other thing that happened was uh for screenwriting which was the other scheme I was part of and I wrote another pilot for them uh for a totally different series which was a thriller but it did have a disability kind of core to it and that got that that got lots of offers for options which was really exciting that had a bidding war then Channel 4 said, yeah, we're we're interested in this and they put some money in to develop it. And I am still working on that at the moment, actually. But that's a slow burn because it's a very thorny, very morally complex proposition. And I think I don't quite know what the answer to the question at its heart is yet. But I'm working with the most incredible producers who are so thoughtful and intelligent. And I think it, it could be something really exciting. Um, but we haven't quite cracked it, I don't think. It's worth saying, isn't it, that de- development, when you first get into development, you think, yeah, great, I made it. And then you find out it takes a long time. <laughs> yeah, and rightly so. And actually, with this particular project, it's me who's stalling. It's yeah. not them. Um, and it's me who's stalling because it's really interesting, but I feel like every year I become a slightly different writer. Um, mm. And because my sort of introduction to the world of television screenwriting, even though there was a very long period where I was sort of writing um, in my attic for nobody. So I, I definitely acquired, you know, I was lucky because I acquired the, the skills by doing all of that spectacular failure that when I did get my break, I, could actually deliver but at the same time my break came quite quickly and I I think there's a real danger of plunging into having your own big authored show for a great big broadcaster when mm. you you're not entirely sure what you want to say so actually it's me sometimes I think it's good that development development can take a long time but sometimes for a very good reason and I think because this one is such an authored piece particularly I'm quite happy to to let it sort of mature 
if it wasn't such an ordered piece it'd probably be a different story like if it was just a question of putting pieces together and working out a puzzle that would be different do do you look back at old scripts can i do this i'm currently working on a script that i wrote two years ago and then left for a while and now it's gone into development and I have to rewrite it. And I'm like, I feel like I'm a better writer now. I feel like I can see mistakes that I was making two years ago that I can solve now, but obviously couldn't back then. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's the joy. That's the experience, isn't it? That you, you make those decisions more quickly. You're more willing to cut something and completely replace it because you're like, I've done this and I've done this successfully a number of times recently. <laughs> you know, yeah. I know, I know it's worth doing. Yeah. I definitely have that experience. I definitely, and I think, I think especially with a kind of marginalized voices and um, lived experience that maybe television hasn't had so much of, I think, they the 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 producers think oh great 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 let's let's get these voices on but i think what really is exciting is when you get the voices on and the voices have mastered the form and they know exactly yeah. what they want to say and they know how they want to say it and they kill it you know they nail it um, yes. that's what that's the ideal situation isn't it because otherwise yeah. they they get given the 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 podium and they don't they don't manage to exploit the full potential of having that podium you know, yeah. um, uh, and then the dangers we get, we all get judged on that, and we don't get the podium again. Yeah, you get one shot, don't you, at the beginning to make mm. that first impression, and you get punished so much more. I think if if you're not sorry, this is going to sound a very soapboxy, but you know, you get punished more if you're an underrepresented voice. The, the the more the more mainstream you know non-disabled straight white guy will be allowed to fail more we, we are less we are less allowed to fail at the moment hopefully that that is changing but that certainly has been the case up until now no ralph and katie tell us a bit about ralph and katie ralph and katie was my first writer's room um and my first um writer's credit on a big primetime BBC One show. And uh, that was the most perfect kind of entry into that kind of show and that kind of writing because it was a disability show and the writer's room was all disabled and we did it all on Zoom. Everything was super accessible. And it was show run by the mighty Peter Bowker, who is the loveliest, kindest, funniest, most... um, nurturing showrunner you could imagine and so it was a joy from start to finish and uh, I learned a lot doing that I really really enjoyed writing my episode but then I also enjoyed the kind of crazy production process where you know you're given like eight weeks to write your first draft and then your second draft maybe I don't know a couple of weeks and but then suddenly you'll get a call oh we're going we're, we're going in you know we're going on set next week and we need you to rewrite 50 percent of the episode you know, that kind of last minute high stress stuff. Yeah. That was the first time I, I had that privilege <laughs> working on the, the scripts with the little stars next to it, you know, or the, the, the shooting scripts. Um, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I like the adrenaline of it, actually. 
And then they were kind enough to let us also make notes on the edits, which I learned a huge amount from as well. Mm. So, yeah, Ralph yeah. and Katie was wonderful. And more recently, Sex Education. Obviously, it's not been on yet, but can you tell us a bit about what it was like to work on it? That was amazing because you had the privilege of stepping into a very clear pre-existing universe. You know, the world of Moordale is well established by the time we got to season four. I could hear the characters' voices in my head so clearly. I knew exactly how the actors would deliver the lines. You knew exactly what joke someone would make at a particular time, given a particular circumstance. So it all that painful, grim, kind of world-building, heavy-lifting, character-creating stuff, which is, for me, the really arduous part, had already been done magnificently by many writers before me and by Laurie Nunn, the showrunner. So it was, we, we, you know, as writers being brought on, we, I just felt like we were just being, we were being handed these squirty tubes of icing and we were just squirting icing on the cake <laughs> <laughs> and being paid for it. You know, it was like, you know, here, here's what happens. In it. I mean, we, we did the writer's room, which was the, the very much the inspiration for how the shape of the series. And we worked very hard on that. But once we were given our allotted episodes, we knew what was happening in the episode. And it was just pure fun and joy to turn those beats into fun scenes. Wow. So I'm interested if you could talk to a younger version of you, what advice would you give them about getting to where you've got? Well, this is, I mean, I don't know, that's a hard one to answer because I think we are products of the of our environment. And I think if mm. I had maybe at a younger age decided that my experience and my voice was worthwhile, yes, that probably would have been really useful. But I'm not sure the world was ready to hear it then, <laughs> to be honest. I think yeah. keeping my head down and just honing my craft and just really learning the hard way how to do it probably was the best way forward um but I could have done with a lot more confidence I really could um but again I think that's not surprising given you know the ablest world I was operating in I don't know what advice like um or, or what advice would you give say a visually impaired person wanting to become a screenwriter in their 20s now oh well that would be different I'd be like you shout from the rooftops girl yeah (laughs) don't let anybody so if anyone messes with you you call me straight away (laughs) (laughs) no it would be it would be it would be like there is absolutely no reason why you cannot do this job and if anyone makes you feel that you're not welcome that is on them not on you Mm. you know do not internalize anything anyone else's discomfort you belong here as much as anyone else that would be yeah. the the message that i would try and instill it, it, it just feel now like the gates are open and the opportunities are more there than they ever have been before 
Absolutely. And thanks to you. I mean, I would guide anyone gently towards Dank Triple C, towards the writer's room access opportunities, towards schemes like for screenwriting. I think there are any number of resources out there and 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 certainly the Dank newsletter, the Dank Triple C newsletter is a really good source of finding these things out. So yeah, there are resources now. There are good places to start, you know. And you can start like and like again, you know, there are there are lots of ways you can write your own short film and try and make it. Or you can, like I did, try and get get in via a different medium, via radio or theatre. You know, I really recommend radio. I really recommend audio in terms of amazing dialogue um, and amazing performances. You can learn a lot from working in in audio. But if you don't, but you don't need to say that just because you're visually impaired doesn't mean you can't work in visual medium. So, yeah, all the usual channels, I would say. But I think, yeah, there is an appetite at the moment. So uh, it's to be um, to be made the most of. And also, I guess watch a lot of TV. <laughs> In a way, I love what we do because I can watch TV at night and give myself that I'm working. Yeah, so when I watch TV with my 13-year-old daughter, I always have the pause button in my hand and I'm always stopping and saying, why did the writer make that choice? Yeah. That's the question. Why did they make that choice? Why did they make that choice? They could have chosen yeah. something else. Why? Why? I'm constantly saying why. I think, yeah, watching TV and stopping and thinking and watching things twice, watching things three times, you learn so yeah. much from that. So, yeah, I yeah. would really recommend that. Yeah, yeah. In a way, it kind of spoils things like murder mystery because <laughs> you're watching it going, why is the way that character do that? Or why are they showing us this? And more often than not, you can work out who did it. Don't pretend you don't love working out who did it before <laughs> the rest of your family, Lawrence. I do. And don't pretend you don't ruin it for everyone else by declaring it early doors. Oh, I do. That's our job. It's like a superpower. Yeah. <laughs> I'm spoiler man. <laughs> Is that what they call you? Yeah. No, but they probably will from now on. They probably should. It's got a good ring to it. <laughs> Uh, um, I think that's about all the time we've got, Annalisa. Thank you so much for doing this. It's an absolute pleasure. I love talking to you, recorded or unrecorded. <laughs> yeah, we should do another unrecorded chat. Yeah, let's do another unrecorded <laughs> <laughs> I can swear more. <laughs> oh, thank you. Pleasure. See you later. Bye. Bye. Able Voices is a production of the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, led by me, Dr. Rhoda Bernard, the founding managing director. It is produced by Daniel Martinez del Campo. The intro music is by Kai Levin, and our closing song is by Sebastian Batista. Kai and Sebastian are students in the arts education programs at the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education.
If you would like to learn more about our work, find us online at berkeley.edu slash B-I-A-A-E or email us at B-I-A-A-E at berkeley, that's L-E-E dot E-D-U.